Just imagine, the mightiest heroes of our time. All of them, on one team. The Fire and Water Network proudly presents... JLU Cast. Hello and welcome to JLU Cast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, Cindy Franklin. And I'm Chris Franklin. And at last, we're finally covering the season one finale of JLU, The Once and Future Thing, part one, Weird Western Tales, and part two, Time Warped. These episodes are jam-packed with special guests from the past and the future, and some comic villains that are introduced in the DCAU with this episode. So let's check out the Watchtower Files. First, the heroes. Watchtower Files. Okay, first up we have Pow Wow Smith. That was the name of the strip, So, but his uh, real name is Oisha. Uh, Native American lawman Oisha, a.k.a. Pow Wow Smith, was created by Don Cameron and Carmine Infantino and debuted as a backup feature in Detective Comics number 151, September 1949. He was the only Western feature, but Westerns have begun to take over the DC line, subplanting Green Lantern and All-American comics, and eventually the Justice Society of America in All-Star comics. He was a regular feature in Detective up through issue 202, um, December of 1953. He then moved the next month to Western Comics with issue 43 of that title, which was dated January-February of 54. The feature was originally sent out west, but in contemporary times. With his second adventure in Western Comics, the series was then set in the late 1800s like the other strips in that title. DC later retconned that the current-day Smith was the descendant of the original. The strip ran through the final issue of Western Comics, number 95, January-February 1961. The modern Powell Smith cameoed in the All-Star Detective Comics number 500, March 1981, which featured all the detective characters who had been in Detective Comics. Okay, our next up is Batlash. Roguish, but a pacifist gambler and anti-hero. Batlash was apparently created by somewhat of a committee, with then-DC editorial director Carmine Infantino and editor Joe Orlando coming up with the rough initial concept. Sheldon Mayer was brought in to flesh out the idea, along with Sergio Aragones and Denny O'Neill, the latter two who created the plots and scripts. Art was provided from Aragones' plot thumbnails by Nick Carty. Batlash debuted in Showcase number 76, August 1968, and debuted in his own title in October-November of that year. Batlash was expected to make a big splash at DC with early teaser ads showing a shadowy, gangly cowboy figure and asking, will he save the West or ruin it? Despite critical acclaim and apparent popularity outside of the U.S., sales on Batlash weren't enough to get the title past seven issues. Batlash returned in Weird Western Tales number 45, March-April 1978, as a guest of Star Scalp Hunter. He would eventually earn a short-lived backup series, first in Weird Tales, then in Jonah Hex's title. He and Hex met the Justice League when some of its members became lost in the Old West, thanks to the machinations of the Lord of Time in Justice League of America number 198 and 199, which was out in January-February of 1982. Okay, next up we have El Diablo, avenging revenant hero El Diablo, a.k.a. Lazarus Lane, that's on the nose, was created by Robert Kandiger and Gray Morrow and first appeared in All-Star Western Volume 2, Number 2, October-November 1970. He was clearly inspired by Johnston McCulley's famous hero, Zorro. Oh, a little, you know, little. I kind of know who that is. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. He was a regular feature in All-Star Western and continued in the title when the name was changed to Weird Western Tales. He appeared nearly every issue through Number 19, then returned for one more appearance in Issue 32. 
He returned in his own backup feature in Jonah Hex in the early 1980s, which ran from issue 48 through 75. While the original has returned in Tales of the Past over the years, the name El Diablo has been used by other DC characters, such as Raphael Sandoval of the short-lived late 80s, early 90s, drawn by Mike Parabek and Chateau Santana, the version that debuted in the late 2000s and appeared in the first Suicide Squad film. And then finally, Jonah Hex. Scarred but noble bounty hunter Jonah Hex was created by John Albano and Tony DeZaniga and debuted in All-Star Western Volume 2, Number 10, February-March, 1972. Two issues later, the title was renamed Weird Western Tales with Hex, its breakout star. He headlined the title through issue number 38, which was January-February of 77, and the next month received his own self-titled book, bucking the trend of declining Western comic series. Along the way, Hex encountered the Justice League twice, first in JLA number 159 through 160, October-November 1978. There he traveled to the present to take out the JLA and the Visiting Justice Society while under the influence of the Lord of Time. In Justice League of America number 198 and 199, January-February 1982, he met some of the heroes again, this time lost in his time period, thanks again to the Lord of Time. Hex's time traveling wasn't over, however, after the events of the Crisis on Infinite Earths and the end of his title with issue 92, which was in August of 85, Hex was transported to a post-apocalyptic future in a new title named Only Hex, which ran for 18 issues from September of 85 to February of 87. Hex returned to his original timeline at some point and continued to make sporadic guest appearances and flashback stories across the DC line. In the 1990s, writer Joe R. Lansdale and artist Tim Truman teamed for three Jonah Hex miniseries mixing the Old West with the Supernatural, beginning with Jonah Hex, Two-Gun Mojo in 1993. Lansdale wrote the teleplay for Jonah's TV debut over a script by Kevin Altieri, Paul Dini, and Bruce Timm. Showdown was a season four episode of Batman the Animated Series, then renamed The Adventures of Batman and Robin, that focused most of its time on a flashback tale involving an older Hex and his battle with Arcady Duval, the son of Ra's al Ghul. So this is actually Hex's second DCAU appearance. There he was voiced by William McKinney. Hex has gone on to a few more comic series since then, including the excellent Justin Gray, Jimmy Palmiotti run, a DC original movie short, guest appearances on the CW shows, and a big-budget film starring Josh Brolin that we still haven't watched. I think with, from all the reviews, with good reason. Yes. <laughs> and now, the villains. Tobias Manning, a.k.a. the Terra Man. Uh, folks who uh, listen to the Done in One Wonders podcast, Wonder Show, know the Terra Man well, but just in case you didn't or it's been a while, we'll give you a little background. Terror Man was the creation of writer Kerry Bates and artist Kurt Swan and Dick Dillon, inspired by Clint Eastwood's Man With No Name character from Sergio Leone's trilogy of spaghetti westerns, complete with cowboy hat, poncho, etc. He first appeared in Superman number 249, March 1972. Toby Manning was a young boy abducted from the American West of the late 1800s by aliens and taught how to fight with highly advanced weapons. So Star-Lord. <laughs> he modified the weapons to look like those of Manning's own time period. Manning eventually killed the alien and took to calling himself the Terror Man after his own planet and began, began a career as an interstellar outlaw. He trained a winged Argovian steed to be his transportation and companion named Nova. Terror Man crossed paths with Superman many times. Despite his time in outer space and living a prolonged life, Manning spoke with an Old West drawl and used slang terms from that era. 
In the post-crisis universe, Toby Manning was an industrialist who had a change of heart and began using Earth-based weapons to help save the environment and target those who would pollute it at any cost. He went by Terror Man for more obvious reasons, but still had a Western vibe about him, even if he lacked the cowboy hat, poncho, and chaps of the original. This Terror Man fought Superman many times, but was eventually ripped in half by Black Adam because modern comics. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Kronos. Kronos was created by writer Gardner Fox and Gil Kane and first appeared in The Atom No. 3, November of 1962. Petty thief David Clinton, tired of being constantly arrested, realized he kept failing because his timing was off. He began studying clocks and timepieces, becoming obsessed with their precision, and rebranded himself as Kronos, the time thief, named after the Greek personification of time in one of the Silver Age's most outrageous costumes. Clinton frequently battled the Atom and joined other villains first in the Crime Champions opposing the JLA and the JSA in their first team-up and later the Injustice Gang. Kronos's time obsession eventually led him to dabble in time travel immediately before and during the post-crisis era. While the Atom was away from Ivy Town during his Sword of the Atom phase, Kronos opposed Blue Beetle. During their conflict, he was sent back to prehistoric time of the dinosaurs. He survived and managed to encounter time-tossed heroes, Captain Atom, and later Superman, who helped him return to the present. Kronos eventually made a deal with the demon Neron, who gave him the power to manipulate time. Like all Faustian deals, the bargain cost Clinton, accelerating his age every time he used his powers. Clinton's history and appearances became convoluted and hard to track past his appearance here on JLU, so we won't even try. Another Kronos with connections to Clinton named Walker Gabriel starred in a short-lived series in 1998 and 99. Lady Kronos was once the romantic partner of Ryan Cho, one of Ray Palmer's successors as Adam. JLU's version of Kronos is in some ways closer to the old Justice League foe, the Lord of Time, also called Epoch, created by Gardner Fox and Mike Sikowski for Justice League of America No. 10, March 1962. He was a time-traveling fugitive from the year 3796 who used warriors and weapons from across history to attack the team. Okay, so now that we've got through the Watchtower Files, let's jump into Part 1. The Once and Future Thing, Part 1, Weird Western Tales, originally aired January 22, 2005. Written by Dwayne McDuffie, directed by Dan Reba, with music by Christopher Carter. In the cast, we had, of course, Kevin Conroy as Batman, Phil Lamar as Green Lantern, Susan Eisenberg as Wonder Woman, Peter McNichol as David Clinton, Ben Browder as Batlash, Adam Baldwin as Jonah Hex, Jonathan Joss as Sheriff Oyesha Smith, Nestor Carbonell as El Diablo, Ed O'Ross as Tobias Manning, Mindy Sterling as Enid, and Peter Onorati as Warhawk. Fifty years in the future, physicist David Clinton invents the chrono suit, which he uses to travel through time and steal historical trinkets whose absence won't upset the space-time continuum. His scolding wife, Enid, is not impressed and chastises David for not thinking bigger. He escapes her ranting by traveling back to our present and the Justice League Watchtower, where he attempts to steal Batman's utility belt. The Dark Knight, Green Lantern, and Wonder Woman pursue him through his time tunnel, only to find themselves stranded in Oklahoma in the late 1800s. They make quick work of some bushwhackers working for a man named Tobias Manning. The heroes take the thieves' clothes, weapons, and horses and head into town looking for their missing time traveler. In the town of Elkhorn, they find Tobias Manning playing cards in the local saloon with a man named Batlash. Lash accuses Manning of cheating at cards, but Manning pulls out a high-tech six-shooter not from this century. Lash is arrested and set to be hanged the next day. 
The leaguers free Lash and find Clinton in the cell beside him. He tells them that he arrived six months before they did and was quickly attacked by Manning, who stole his chrono suit belt, using it to outfit his men with future tech so they could take over the territory. The jail comes under siege from Manning's well-equipped forces, but help arrives in the form of three friends of Lash. Sheriff Oisha Smith, the masked El Diablo, and scarred bounty hunter Jonah Hex. After they take down their assailants, Smith tells of how Manning used what he called magic to run him out of town. Seeking help in retaking Elkhorn, he recruited Lash, Diablo, and Hex. The leaguers and the local heroes decide to team up and, taking Clinton with them, ride out to Manning's ranch. There they encounter robot dinosaurs, giant mech suits, and more technological marvels, way beyond the Justice League's time. Working together, the heroes take them all out, with Oisha getting to settle things with Manning, stopping him from fleeing on his winged robotic horse, Nova. Batman examines the belt, but Clinton tricks him, activating a safety precaution and electrifying him. The leaguers follow him through the time tunnel, much to the shock of the Western heroes, save for Jonah Hex. The heroes land behind Clinton once again, this time in his home time period of the future. They are about to be attacked by a gang of Jokers when Static, a new Batman, and Warhawk arrive. Warhawk is particularly surprised to see Green Lantern, who he calls Dad. We've been expecting you. But I bet you weren't expecting us. Static? What's going on? Dad? Uh, the title is obviously a nod to the comic that Jonah Hex and El Diablo once starred in, and it's certainly weird. Just a bit. Yeah. <laughs> so anyone who watched Batman Beyond recognizes the buildings and the designs at the beginning of this. Right. Uh, without any subtitles, we know we're in the future. Exactly. You know? uh, so it seems Enid has seen David's collection, but she never asked what it was or where he was getting it from. I guess she really doesn't care enough for him to even really bother, right? Right, right. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, look at all of these glass display cases that he had. I mean, I'd be like, where'd that come from? What's this? Well, you know, da 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 you know. How are you paying for this? Yeah. And especially when he didn't get tenure, you know, because she said, you know, remember when I didn't get tenure last summer? And she's like, yeah, you know. <laughs> Uh, she throws up the mother-in-law and how she should have married another guy. It's very rote, the screeching wife and cockled husband. But how many cockled husbands can time travel away? Right. That's where it, that's where they took that old you know trope, trope yeah. and just you know flipped it on its ear because he can time travel. <laughs> uh, David's got these huge blue eyes, which is a departure from the usual design aesthetic of this series. It does make him look very naive, vulnerable. And just a bit Weasley. Yeah, it does. It sets him apart. One thing that's really strange is in the comics, even though he didn't look that way un when he was masked, when he was unmasked, David Clinton looked like Richard Nixon. Oh, okay. And, I, and you know, at that time, Richard Nixon had been the vice president, uh -huh. and he hadn't become president yet, but he'd been oh, okay. vice president under Eisenhower. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, uh, but, but I mean, it's it's kind of weird. He doesn't look anything like here. <laughs> uh, David Clinton, a.k.a. Kronos, is voiced by Peter McNichol. Probably best known for his time on Ally McBeald, but I still think of him as the character in Ghostbusters 2, the child, you know, the little, <laughs> the little weird little painter guy, you know. Oh, I, yeah. I think about that, yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> and when when the Mandalorian became big and everybody was calling, you know, ba either Baby Yoda or officially before he got a name, he was the child. Right. And I kept saying, the child, you know. Just I know, <laughs> I know. So what do we think about Enid? Oh, 
my gosh. I mean, A, if you don't like your husband, leave him. He's obviously supporting your rear end. <laughs> and otherwise, if you don't like it, support him, help him, get out, get a job, do something, help your husband. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you don't like where you're at, she wants to be, you know, she wants to leech off of him and be supported by him, but then, you know, rails at him when he does something for himself. Yeah. It's it's pretty it's pretty rough. Uh, she's voiced by Mindy Sterling, who for the past several years has been a regular on the Goldbergs, but is probably still best known as Frau Farbizna from the Austin Powers films. So, uh, she's really good at screeching. Yeah. You know, obviously. <laughs> In the Watchtower, we see Stargirl, Gypsy, Booster Gold, and Skeets, Supergirl, Commander Steel, and Elongated Man. Mm-hmm. And then Wonder Woman and Shire go for the same cafeteria tray. Ooh. Ooh, awkward. <laughs> Talk about cutting the tension with a knife. Oh, yeah. And she, she gives her, Diana cuts her another one of those looks and says, by all means, you first. It's like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah, burr. You know, uh, GL points out she's holding a grudge, and then Batman asks if he's holding a torch for Shaira. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I love it. He's like, he's like, I'm seeing Vixen now. We're very happy. You know, Batman's like, uh huh. You know, but what do you think about Batman wanting GL to spill the tea? <laughs> I'm just like, dude. <laughs> I like that these in, in, in these relationships between Batman and Diana and Green Lantern and, and Wonder Woman, the women are the fierce ones. I mean, Batman is Batman and Green Lantern is an ex-Marine and a space cop, but Diana and Shaira come from warrior races. Yep. They're even more intense than these guys. Yep. So it's yep. kind of funny that Green Lantern and Batman are kind of, they're kind of role reversing here. They're in the role of the stereotypical woman in this situation. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I, I can see that. I yeah. think that's kind of fun. I think that's fun. <laughs> They're the fairer sex in this equation in a lot of ways. So. <laughs> then there's that wonderful moment when he tries to explain to Green Lantern that he and Diana are only friends and she walks up on them. <laughs> She's a respected colleague. Diana's a remarkable woman. She's a valued friend. She's standing right behind me, isn't she? And what's she say? Don't let that stop you. Keep digging. (laughs) Uh, I love seeing the heroes during downtime. Yeah. They're eating in the cafeteria. But what can be more mundane than that? Right. Exactly. So, uh, but again, though, who's paying for this? Bruce Wayne? I mean, is Alfred planning the meal schedule? (laughs) Again, the, the thing is... And they actually go into this, and later on, you know, you have all of these people going up that are non-powered to work on the Watchtower, and that's how they end up getting, you know... Uh, the Suicide Squad. The Suicide well, for lack of a better term. The tax, Task Force X. Yeah. Yeah. They, they get on there, so it's right. it's the start of that, how you see that. Yeah, I mean, they've they shown that there's other... And, I mean, they've kind of... Ever since they started with unlimited they've had a workforce yeah you know so it's it's kind of it's like who's paying for it you know uh-huh. it's, it's kind of you know but uh but yeah I, I love the what did you think about the the you know diana walking up on on batman i mean <laughs> well it's one of those cases i love when you know you get you know you get a man or anybody and they're like da 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 and then the object the person that they're talking about they're in, and you know you know you're just like oh shit <laughs> <laughs> 
You know that's what's going through his mind. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, Kronos has to interrupt all this. I like how he ages the metal of Batman's locker to steal the spare utility belt. Uh-huh. He sets a little dial on his belt and touches it, and it, it just, like, rusts. Yeah. Uh, so on his, his little pad thing that he's marking things off, we see he's marked off M's dress, Napoleon's vest, Washington's teeth, and now Batman's utility belt. Yeah. I've seen speculate, speculation that M's dress may be Madonna's. You thought it might be... Marilyn Monroe. Right. And I've also seen speculation that since we're dealing with a guy named Clinton, it might be Monica Lewinsky's famously stained dress. Oh. <laughs> Any other ideas? No. <laughs> Let's leave that there. Oh, yeah. Uh, they stop him from taking the belt. He opens the portal and everyone jumps in after him. What if it opened into the vacuum of space? Yeah, or solid rock, or a volcano, or, you know, and he's, he's got a suit that might be prepared for it, and they just joink, joink in. I mean, if Green Lantern put a bubble on him before, I can kind of get it, but he didn't. Mm-mm. Wonder Woman and Batman just jumped on through, so, yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of fun. Uh, the time portal does look cool. Everyone is banged around until Green Lantern does put them in a bubble, but even then, they bounce around. Yeah. So, I like that. Uh, Batman must be disoriented because he lets three horses and three riders sneak up on him like that. I know. <laughs> Actually, Batman's very human in these episodes. It is. It yeah, is. Yeah. But I like them sh- saying that he's not the all-knowing Bat God. Exactly. You know? I like that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, Diana says, where Where are, you know, are we? And there's a nice hook where Batman's like, where? I think the question is when. And then we... You know, cut to the opening. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we come back, and the robbers mention this is Tobias Manning country. That's our first name drop for him. More on him later, obviously. <laughs> and then they fire. The guys start firing at Wonder Woman, and she deflects them with her bracelets. But what's what she say? These love. are the biggest, slowest bullets I have ever seen. Yeah. And it's one of those cases. I mean, she's not even looking. She's like talking to him, like da 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 da. You know. It's like, if this was Linda Carter, it, instead of going, dun, 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 it'd be going, dun, 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 You know what I mean? You know I mean? It's like slow motion. Yeah. It's just like, oh, this isn't even, yeah. So they are in June 1879, and Green Lantern states that he hates time travel, but he ought to after the Savage Times. Yes. So, you know, makes sense. When Diana complains about the cowboy boots she stole from the thieves, of course, you know, they take care of the thieves. They steal their clothes. They can go into town incognito. Uh, and uh, she she's complaining about the cowboy boots. And Batman points out, you fight crime in high heels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but high heels that fit. Right. I, I like the fact that somebody pointed out, why do, do, why do the superheroines wear high heels? I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, it just... It's because it makes her butt look good, right? I mean, that's the whole point, right? That's why you wear high heels, even if you're tall. That's right. Is that is that why you do it? I mean, I don't know. I don't wear. Well, high... <laughs> but the thing is, is you know, my my butt looks good enough, and I don't wear high heels. Thanks. I don't. I don't need to. <laughs> I would agree with that. Uh... You better. <laughs> now, I've always wondered. How do Green Lanterns make clothes from themselves with their rings? Because John smells the guy's clothes and is like, has a shower been invented yet? And then he, right, and then they're not green. They're no. just regular, like, 
linen. And so what happens when he goes to sleep? And what, you know, how does that work? I mean, that's always been in the comics. So they just like, like beam, like their beam goes around him and like how Jordan's flight suit turns into his Green Lantern suit or whatever. You yeah. Know? It's like, and I'm like, I, I never have understood that, how that works, but it, it, it's just, it's, it's built in, but, uh, and of course, Batman refuses to carry a gun that right. tracks, you know, those empty holsters aren't going to be too intimidating, you know, but, um, so what do you think about their Western looks? I know you made a Barbie custom of Wonder Woman in this outfit. I did. I mean, I like it. I like where they, but it still looks like Wonder Woman. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. And actually, Wonder Woman was in, kind of in a Western outfit in that episode with Roy Rogers. Yeah. Because he didn't want to run around in her. Uh, he it wasn't chaste enough for him. Right. So they made her change her outfit in that episode. Right. <laughs> uh, then we meet both Batlash and Tobias Manning playing poker. Batlash is voiced by Ben Browder, still best remembered as the lead in the sci-fi series Farscape, and he was later on Stargate SG-1 as well. So, um, I'm going to admit right here, I missed out that Tobias Manning was meant to be the Terror Man until he flew out on Nova at the end. Mm. I didn't, I didn't pick up as much as I hate to say it because he was a huge part of Zoom's Done in One Wonders podcast Wonder Show. Uh, you know, but as a kid, I honestly didn't care much for Terror Man. I thought he was kind of goofy. Mm. Uh, so his name and backstory just never sunk into my usually voracious comic nerd brain. I just kind of dismissed him. You do have a nerd brain, baby. I, I know, but I just I didn't I just didn't care for Terror Man. I just thought I think he's I think he's kind of fun now, but back then I just thought. I, plus, I didn't get why doesn't he have a better name, a more Western name than Terror Man? You know, yeah. but but. Uh, he's voiced by Ed O. Ross, who uh, was known for Lethal Weapon and playing Itchy in Dick Tracy. Okay. So another comic cred there. Uh, so Batman was going to let Batlash be hanged because he's more interested in the time stream, you know, which I thought, I mean, that's kind of out of character for Batman. Or do you think he was offering a counterpoint even though he knew they'd, they'd end up freeing him? I think he was just waiting until later. You know, mm. let's let's discuss this later after we've got more of the lay of the land. Mm. And she's like, nah, we're going to do it. You yeah, know? I love how GL laughs at Diana bossing Batman around. So, yeah. that's <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, you know. I, I know. Nice back and forth with uh, David and Batlash about trying to escape. That's uh, There's some pretty funny stuff there. Uh, then Green Lantern makes a Scooby-Doo ghost. I know. And he's like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. Scares the jailer into running into a wall Whoa. and knocking himself out. Uh, he's gone from only bubbles to this, mm-hmm. which I think is great. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but he looks like one of the the you know the the phantoms that the green ghosts you know on Scooby Doo and then and then they were the same model that was used when Mama Cass was on there and they the ice cream ghost. Yeah, remember that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, David Clinton landed there six months before them, so I know. it's like you know the lag between where they were at in the time tunnel. I like how Batman instantly recognized David when Wonder Woman and Green Lantern didn't, despite him having no mask or goggles, and now he's got long hair and a beard. Yeah, but you got to think, he is a detective who's used to looking at people and tracking them and everything else. Exactly. So. I mean, I love that. Yeah. Diana keeps ripping doors off, even though Green Lantern made a key. And Batlash says, that's a healthy gal. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think it's interesting that Manning's men are using period-appropriate weapons when they attack the jail, but it, they're probably saving the crazy stuff for the big action finale. Yeah. That's that's my guess. So, uh, 
Uh, Batman has his Clint Eastwood-esque, go ahead, give me an excuse, with the jailer. Uh, he pulls his coat away from his belt, but then takes the guy's gun and just decks him. Yeah. So you think he's going to like have a quick draw with a batarang, which he does that later, but yeah, he just punches him. But So how familiar were you with these Western characters before we first watched this one, you know, almost, what, like 18 years ago, <laughs> whatever, when it debuted? I knew Powell Smith. That was it. You didn't know Jonah Hex? Well, yeah, and Jonah Hex, but yeah. I didn't know Batlash. I didn't know El Diablo. Oh, okay. okay. So I had read, actually... I think there's a comic with Powell Smith and Jonah Hex in it together. Mm, there might be. I think it's possible. I mean, it's one of those cases, you know, and we've talked about this before. You know, a lot of times I would ride the bus. My mother worked at um, Begley Drug when I was a little girl, worked there for 30-some years. But anyway, after school, I would ride the bus out to Begley's, and while I was waiting for her to get off work, I would just sit there in the back and read comics, and I would just read whatever was there. Yeah. So, you know... It'd be a wide variety of things, something I might not necessarily pick up. Oh, well, you know, I still got an hour before Mom gets off. I'll read this. Yeah. So. You probably read had a wider berth of different reading material than even I did because I'm like, oh, I'm not buying that. You yeah, know? probably. I mean, honestly, probably so. <laughs> probably. Uh, I honestly didn't know much about El Diablo or Pow Wow Oisha Smith. I, I knew they existed. I knew what books they'd been in, and I had read their original Who's Who entries. And But I knew Bat- Batlash and Jonah Hex pretty right. well, especially Jonah Hex. Uh, every hero gets an appropriate musical theme. Aisha recalls Native American music, El Diablo Spanish, and Hex a typical Clint Eastwood-like Western theme. So uh, Aisha is voiced by Jonathan Josh, no stranger to Westerns, having appeared in the remakes of True Grit and The Magnificent Seven. El Diablo was voiced by Nestor Carbonell, who had a later Batman connection as the mayor in oh, both okay. The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. And he played Batmanuel on The Tick as well. That was their version of the car- comic and cartoon character that was uh, the Flater Mouse. Oh, okay. But because he was Latino, they changed it to Batmanuel. Well, that makes so, sense. Yeah. Uh, he also was a regular on Lost and The Bates Motel. So he's quite active. Uh, Jonah Hex is played by Adam Baldwin, who is best known for Full Metal Jacket, Firefly, and Serenity. He also voiced Superman in the Superman Doomsday animated film and has voiced Hal Jordan in several video games such as Injustice and other things that we may discuss later. Aisha explains what happened, how Manning was a 'er ne'er-do-well. He had run out of town several times, but he came back with magic powers. Now, I think this is funny because El Diablo says... There's no such thing as magic, my friend. If you follow the comic origin, he was revived from the dead by a shaman. Um, <laughs> might want to start believing in the magic. Yeah, already. well, how'd you survive being dead and coming back? So, uh, <laughs> They take quite a bit of time to show Tobias beating the stuffing out of Aisha while the town people wince. It reminds me a lot of High Plains, Plains Drift. Drifter. Yeah. yeah, of course, but later you realize they... They kind of wanted the people to beat the sheriff in that, you know, because they were all trying to get that money you know, oh, yeah. in, in that movie. But it does kind of remind you a little bit of that. So, yeah. Uh, everyone is okay with Hex's plan, which is just like, we put him in the ground. You know, I know, so, they're going to kill him. I'm like, well. <laughs> I guess maybe they'll figure, well, well, we'll ride with him and we'll stop him from killing him, you mm-hmm. know, I guess. So. We then get the awesome Western montage with the heroes and David Clinton 
walking down the street together a la the Magnificent Seven or Tombstone or any Western you can think yeah, of. Yeah, that, that has that's, a group. Yeah. It's got a group. And notice there are seven heroes just like the Magnificent Seven and the original seven Justice Leaguers. Yeah. Which, of course, when the JLA came back under Grant Morrison, the original seven members or the ver- those versions of the original seven, they referred to the team as the Magnificent Seven. Oh, okay. You know, so... Uh, it's interesting that they use a Western-sounding version of the JL theme here because it is heavily based on the Twins of Evil theme, mm-hmm. if you want to be, you know, I mean, or it was just swiped from the Twins of Evil theme, which, despite its European setting, is also made to sound like a Western. Those, the 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 uh, witch hunters were were meant to sound like they their theme was meant to sound like, you know, in a mm-hmm. Western movie. So, yeah. And then, <laughs> I love this. This is like one of the best parts about this episode. Jonah Hex notes to Batman, fancy gun belt you got there. I'm thinking you folks are time travelers. And then Batman says, where would you get a crazy idea like that? Experience. I've had an interesting life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, okay then. I remember my jaw hitting the floor with this. Not only do we have Jonah Hex... In a Justice League episode, he referenced the long defunct and pretty much forgotten Hex series. Yeah. Which I bought some of that. You know, yeah, I, mean, I, yeah. I remembered that. It was like, wow. You know, I mean, that's, that's, that's digging deep, man. I mean, because, I mean, they could have just like, I mean, they're referencing some obscure part of his comic book continuity here. So, I love Green Lantern's reaction when he, when, you know, Aisha warns them there's going to be some unusual activity, be prepared. And Green Lantern's like, well, we've seen some crazy stuff. But then he sees a cowboy riding a pterodactyl and says, I'm sorry, you were saying. Yeah, she's <laughs> like, oh, okay, there has been some crazy stuff. <laughs> so why robot dinosaurs? I can't show them hurting actual animals. Actual real dinosaurs? I guess. You can't hurt the dinosaurs. <laughs> Which, oddly enough, we'll see. See that we'll see a bunch of dinosaurs killed later. I'm just gonna say, you know, uh, but but uh, yeah. So that's it's interesting, but yeah. The rest of this episode is pretty much just straight action and a lot of robot killing. They made sure the robots looked like robots, even though they're dressed in period clothes with hats and coats and things. But just so they could get by with blowing their heads and limbs off, etc. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 all out just action. There's some nice touches here. Batman's grapple is still hanging. From the gate when the Western heroes charge in because he swang in, you know, on the yeah. gate. Uh, also, Batlash steals some money from one of Manning's men's coats with a playful little music sting. Yeah. I thought that was cute. Uh, I like that Jonah runs toward Lash when a tank appears and starts spraying machine gun fire. And that uh, Those two usually have like a, a friendly history in the comics, as I recall. Well, as close to as you get to being friends with Jonah Hex. Yeah, he's a scoundrel, you know. Batlash is a scoundrel, but you know he's got a. He's Brett Maverick. Let's yeah, let's face yeah. it. I mean that that's what always got me. It's like they acted like Batlash was some great original creation. He's like, well, he's he's James Garner is is Maverick, mm. <laughs> basically. But that's okay because who doesn't like James Garner and who doesn't like Maverick? So that's fine, you know. But <laughs> the giant robot exoskeletons appear. And the drivers are behind them in egg-shaped domes. And, and one of them grabs Diana, and he looks like a crazy-eyed prospector. He looks like the prospector from Toy Story. A little bit. 
Stinky Pete? Yes. <laughs> and he's behind the, the you know, the pla- you know, behind glass instead of plastic, but still I'm like, yeah. dude. <laughs> but he gives her like a he's like looking her up and down like ogling her. Oh know? yeah. Like, and how many times have I said dude all so far in this episode? I don't know. <laughs> Quite a few. And I'm sorry. I mean, if you're trying to get drunk, there's there's your way to do it. You listen. <laughs> Drinking game. Green Lantern has a nice moment, a quick draw showdown with one exoskeleton. He draws first and just slices it to pieces with his ring. It's it's kind of cool. Uh, Hex takes out one uh, of the exoskeletons with a missile launching arm off another. Yeah. That's a nice nod to his future time. He knew how to use it. Yeah. You know, he picked it up and used it. Um, Tobias calls... Aisha Powwow Smith, and it's obviously a name that he doesn't care for. Well, of course not. Yeah, and, and I, I apologize for using it throughout this episode. It's just easier to roll off my tongue than Aisha sometimes. Right. So, and I'm, you know, just comic history nerd. It just comes out that way. So, Tobias Manning pulls out his, he's got this gun that like these other six little guns come off. Right. Uh, and Batman says, six guns, six of us, nobody miss. And, of course, they don't. And they take them all out. But I always wonder, how do you figure out, okay, which one are you going to take out? Which one are you going to take out? I mean, you know, how do they right. all know which, you know. Especially since these people haven't trained together. And that's what I I'm mean, saying. The, I mean, the three Justice Leaguers probably have, obviously. Right. But the other, I mean, the other heroes haven't. They just, he just, uh, Oasha just gathered them together to help him. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Good I'm point. Like, hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's cool, don't get me wrong, but at the same time, my logic-ass brain goes, how did they all not go for the same part of the sixth gun, you right, know? Right, right, yeah. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> one of them one of them isn't taken out and it shoots Oisha. Yeah. And, and Jonah's like, you were supposed to get that one and bat last shit. I thought that one was yours, you know? <laughs> See, I mean, you know? Uh, uh, so... That's when Manning calls for Nova. Robotic Pegasus comes out. He jumps on it. And Aisha climbs up on it to fight him. And they're going to go after him. Green Lantern's going after him. And and uh, Hex tells him, you know, let him. A man needs to balance his own accounts. Which, you know, that's great. But if he falls off, he's going to die. Yeah. He's, he's like very human. No magical powers. You know, no ring. No, he's not an Amazon. So, but it's like, okay. But he does manage to, you know, bring the horse down and bring Manning down with it. And then he chases him, and Tobias pulls out a knife, and Aisha puts down his guns. I swear, their fight is almost beat for beat, the final fist fight between the Lone Ranger and Butch Cavendish in the Legend of the Lone Ranger film. Oh. I mean, it's very, very similar. I don't know if that was intentional, if that's a coincidence. It just, it's very, very similar to that final fight. Then they show him over Manning's body, and he's working that knife, and the music sting seems to want us to think that he's scalping him. Did you catch that? I thought that, but then they bring up the bell. Yeah. So I didn't, you know. He says, is this what you're looking for? You know, and it's like, but the music sting makes you think he's doing something awful to him or something, you know, and it's like. I mean, and I know, you know, he's... And a they nat- said they were going to put him in the ground. Yeah, and I mean, he's, you know, he is a Native American character. And I mean, that's in Western movies, what do Native, you know, American characters do? They scout, I mean, obviously Native American, you know, warriors did scout people. It did happen, but it's like, you in know... In some tribes, In not some all. tribes, not all. But yeah, it, exactly. But it's just a, you know, it's a trope of the Western that, yeah. you know... So, but it was kind of like, it made me, it always kind of made me wonder... 
why they didn't use Scalp Hunter. Because, you know, Brian Savage, Scalp Hunter, who, you know, from Starman. Right. Because he was a character that was more connected to Hex and Batlash than okay. really, I think, uh, Oisha was. But he was also a white man raised by Native Americans and dressing like a Native American. So he's a little more problematic, problematic than yeah. using, you know, a, 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 he's a much more inspiring character at being a Native American lawman. Right. In the time, then, you know, white man dressed as, white man dressed as Indian, you know, that type trope. So, yeah. Green Lantern takes all the future tech and bubbles it into space. Hopefully that won't pollute the time stream. Maybe that's where the board came from. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's where, uh, name your advanced alien race or something. There's some kind of, you know, it, it went through some kind of boom tube and ended up on, Apocalypse or something, <laughs> I don't or know. on the Star Trek plane where they play flip his bin. Yeah, the, oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, the the, the oceans, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Batlash says, "Shoot, I want me one of them fancy ray guns." And <laughs> X ain't dependable. They jam. It, <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so Batman just lets Clinton touch the belt while he's holding it and get zapped. Yeah. yeah. No bat god, like you said. No, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, that's, you know, we'll save that for a category for later. But, yeah, that's not Batman's best moment on Justice League no. or Justice League Unlimited. Diana grabs Batman, who wakes up in time for her and GL to fly after Clinton, and they all just disappear. And I love Lash's reaction. Huh. <laughs> just, yeah. I just, okay. I, I bet you Hank's like, I've seen weirder stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, then we land in the future time of Batman Beyond, and we get the Joker's gang from Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, Batman Beyond himself, Terry McGinnis, and older Static and Warhawk. And Static says, bet you weren't expecting us. Who was? Especially Static. Right. I mean, who, you know, oh, now we've just confirmed that all those Static Shock episodes happened in the DCAU canon, because mm-hmm. they know Static, you know. And Green Lantern even says, Static? What's going on? And then how about that final line? Dad? <laughs> Say what? Uh-huh. <laughs> and he's Warhawk. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You instantly make that correlation there. Right. Now, back when we were covering Justice League, we would do our superlatives for the entire two-parter. But these two episodes have very different feels, a lot of guests, and tons of great moments. So let's do them for each one, shall we? Okay. Okay. Power action feature. So for power action feature, uh, did you have one that jumped out at you? Oh, I would just say it's Wonder Woman when she's, you know, doing the the bullets and bracelets deal. Oh, just the slow-mo bullets? Yeah, because she's just kind of <laughs> bored with it. Kind of like, oh, well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a ton of action in this one, but the coolest moment for me is the Western... Justice League intro we get with the heroes walking through the street and then riding their horses. Of course, you could go with the big dad reveal, too. That's a big kapow, wow moment. Yeah. But, yeah, so. Rotating chairperson. For rotating chairperson, who'd you have? Oh, of course, Wonder Woman. Yeah. <laughs> She's running the show here. Yeah, she really does take charge here, yeah. She's like, nah, no, nah, no, this is what we're doing. Batman is slightly put out by it, and Green Lantern laughs about it, which yeah. I love. I, I love Batman the, just acquiesces. He's like, okay. Yeah, whatever, yeah. I, I, I like the dynamic between these three mm-hmm. in this one. And it's interesting that this is the season finale, and it's just these three heroes. But 
they're teaming with other heroes to make up for right. to replace the other missing main Justice Leaguers. Mm-hmm. So I like that. Justice League Communicator. Justice League Communicator, man, it, it's almost too many to count. Dwayne McDuffie was a master of snappy dialogue. I mean, what what did you what did you? Like? I would have to say when she's like, "Good, we're breaking him out tonight." I think we know how things work here now. We have to help that man. That's not what we're here for. Someone's tampering with history. The stakes are much bigger than the life of one card sharp. Then it's settled. We'll break him out after sundown. <laughs> you know, when Green Lantern's like... <laughs> <laughs> Just that little snicker, like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like when they were kids. It's like, man, I'm glad she's your girlfriend. Shut up. Basically, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, I like that early exchange in the Watchtower with Batman and Green Lantern where Diana walks up. But for this episode, I love when we learn Jonah Hex had an inter- interesting life. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that was such a, I mean, as shocking as the dad was, I mean, that was almost more shocking that they bothered to mention that, oh yeah, Jonah Hex has time traveled. You know, <laughs> this, this Western, this bounty, this rugged Western bounty hunter is a time traveler. Fancy gun belt you got there. I'm thinking you folks are time travelers. Where would you get a crazy idea like that? Experience. I've had an interesting life. Comic Connections. Comic Connections with the Western heroes, Kronos and Terror Man involved. This episode is deep in the DCU lore and Hex, of course. Right. Uh, But specifically, the story recalls Justice League of America 198 and 199, as we mentioned. But it's not... It, It... it's basically like they acknowledge that, okay, we've done this before, mm-hmm. but let's do our version of it. So it's that's, that's as close as we are. Electricity is evil. For electricity is evil, Batman rather stupidly lets himself get zapped by Clinton's belt. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's kind of funny that this all started with Batman's belt, uh-huh. but this whole storyline is all about David Clinton's belt. belt. So yeah. it's all about people's, how people keep their pants up. You know, so, <laughs> think about it, so... Now, this is something we've never done before, and we probably should have done it when we did The Savage Time, but we had so many in this one. Who is your favorite guest star in, in this this part? I, I would have to say it was Oisha. Oh, yeah? I mean, because he is just, you know, he's actually out there, and he rose to a position of prominence in his town. He survives on his own. He's not super-powered. I mean, you know, I've got to respect him. Yeah, it makes me want to read more of his stories. Mm-hmm. It, it really does. Uh, it's easy to say Jonah Hex. Everybody loves Jonah Hex. Right. Uh, he's obviously DC's biggest Western character, at least of the last 50 years or so. Uh, but I do like me some Batlash, too. But, uh, but you know, I, I liked all of them. Yeah, but he's, your, he's just your typical smarty pants, you know? Yeah, I, yeah. You know. I, I think it's part of Ben Browder's performance. He's really yeah. charming. And I like yeah. that guy anyway. I like Farscape. I'm not saying I don't like the other ones, but I'm just saying the one that, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back and talk part two, Time Warped. You're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders vigilante podcast. Is an exploration of the DC Comics character, the first superhero to use the name of the vigilante. First published in Action Comics 42 in September 1941, amid comics' golden age and carried as a continuous feature, during those years, the Vigilante was also a member of the Seven Soldiers of Victory. He was one of the first DC heroes to appear on the cinema screen in his own serial. 
Reappearing in the Bronze Age, the Vigilante had a 1970s renaissance throughout the DC Universe. Greg Saunders, the Prairie Troubadour, leads a double life as a modern country and western musician, while also delivering justice throughout North America as a masked crime fighter, using the tactics and weapons of his rural Wyoming upbringing with his friends Billy Gunn and Stuff Leong, Many a nefarious scheme was foiled with six guns, ingenuity, a motorcycle, and a twirling lariat. Howdy, I'm Ranger Gord. Help me follow the trail of the Vigilante on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Santa, who's there? Hyperion to a Santa. Follow Siskoid's deep scene-by-scene dive into adaptations of Shakespeare's Hamlet on Hyperion to a Seder, the Fire and Water Network's Hamlet podcast. To listen or not to listen isn't the question, as you well know. Kenneth Branagh, Derek Jacobi, Mel Gibson, Lawrence Olivier, Ethan Hawke, David Tennant, Classics Illustrated, and many more covered every episode at fireandwaterpodcast.com or where you usually get your podcasts. Okay, we're back from break, and as we promised, we're going to talk about the Once and Future Thing, Part 2, Time, comma, Warped. Originally aired January 29th, 2005, so you had to wait a week for Part right. 2. Right. There was no streaming back then. Yes, right. And we won't make you wait this time. We're not going to make you, so we're going to talk about it in this episode. Uh, written again by Dwayne McDuffie, directed by Joaquin Dos Santos, music by Christopher Carter. In the cast, we had Kevin Conroy as Batman and Bruce Wayne. Phil Lamar as Green Lantern and Static, Susan Eisenberg as Wonder Woman, Michael Rosenbaum as Ghoul, Will Friedle as Batman slash Terry McGinnis, Peter Onorati as Warhawk slash Rex Stewart, Peter McNichol as David Clinton slash Kronos, Mindy Sterling as Enid, Adam Baldwin as Bonk, Melissa Joan Hart as Dee Dee, Dee Bradley Baker as Wolf, and Don Harvey as Chucko. The Joker's gang, enhanced by Clinton's future tech, overpowers both league teams, and they retreat to their ragtag headquarters in Hamilton Hill High School. There, future Batman Terry McGinnis introduces young Bruce Wayne to his older self. They tell their time-tossed friends that the rest of the league was wiped out when the Watchtower was destroyed. Warhawk reveals himself to be Rex Stewart, son of John and Shira. Meanwhile, Clinton, now calling himself Lord Kronos, has lavished Enid with buildings and monuments from throughout time. He's taken over Gotham, but is angry with the Jokers for failing to kill the leaguers who continue to hunt him. He reveals that one of the team, Chucko, betrayed him by tipping the heroes off to their time-tossed teammate's arrival. He transports him to the moment when the giant meteor wiped out the dinosaurs. Chucko does. <laughs> it's right. Back at what is passing for JLU HQ, Bruce tells everyone of the damage to the space-time continuum that Kronos has done via his interference. Batman, having looked at Kronos' belt in the Old West, has developed a program that should be able to stop him. As they are speaking, Wonder Woman disappears, having never existed, as a white wall of pure entropy heads towards Gotham. The heroes capture one of the Jokers, Ghoul, and interrogate him. He tells them where to find Enid. While they confront her, Jon Stewart is replaced by an alternate Green Lantern who identifies himself as... Hal Jordan. Mm-hmm. Enid takes them to Kronos' hiding place, the jail cell from Elkhorn, hidden inside the Roman Colosseum, while Hal reverts back to John. 
Kronos calls in his jokers, and a brutal battle begins, with Static consumed by the time anomalies and Terry killed by the multiplying Joker's member, Dee Dee. Batman and Green Lantern confront Kronos with the collapsing universe around them, and he retreats into the past to fix it. The heroes follow and find themselves careening toward the birth of the universe. Green Lantern captures Kronos before he can reach the point of creation. Batman uploads the program into his belt, and then everything goes black as the hand of the universe's creator begins to close. Batman and Green Lantern then find themselves back on the watchtower as if nothing happened. Wonder Woman arrives, remembering nothing of their adventure, but Green Lantern remembers as he stares at Shira. Batman tells him he made sure Kronos never came to exist. We cut to the future, and David Clinton escapes Enid's ranting and raving by escaping into the time stream. Over for that moment to repeat over and over and over, apparently for all time. That all really happened? Think so. Then we won. Everything's back to normal? That's a nasty cut, John. You don't remember going on a mission with us today, do you? I just got here. The timeline's restored to equilibrium. We're the only two people who remember what happened. That complicates things. What happened to Kronos? I reprogrammed the belt to make sure that Kronos would never come to exist. You worthless, good-for-nothing, wretched waste of space! You invent a time machine and can't think of anything useful to do with it? I can think of one thing. Worthless, good-for-nothing, wretched waste of space! You invent a time machine and can't think of anything useful to do with it? I can think of one thing. Yes, um, the title of this one may be a nod to DC's very short-lived sci-fi anthology series Time Warp, which ran for five issues from October, November 1979 through June, July 1980. Or it could just be the fact that this is time being warped. Uh -huh. So, uh, we see the city is littered with buildings and monuments from the other times and other places, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, the Trojan Horse... Easter Island heads, etc. There's stuff littered everywhere. Now, we should probably introduce our Joker's gang here. Uh, these characters were the gang, the real Joker organized in Batman Beyond Return of the Joker. Mm -hmm. uh, my favorite, Ghoul, the Halloween guy, uh, was voiced by some guy named Michael Rosenbaum, who never voiced the Flash during the season. Right, it's so weird. <laughs> it is so weird. Uh, Rosenbaum does his best Christopher Walken impression here. <laughs> yeah, he does, yeah. He does his best Christopher Walken. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's he is really good at it too. Uh, Bonk, the redneck zombie-looking dude, uh, voiced by Adam Baldwin, who voiced Hex last episode. He also voices another character in this one, which we'll get to. The character was voiced by Henry Rollins in the Return of the Joker movie. Oh, and he should be dead if you follow the uncut version of the film. In the censored version. He was gassed by the Joker, so maybe he survived that. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Uh -huh. Time's all screwed up, so who knows. Uh, Dee Dee, the twin clown girls, are voiced by Melissa Joan Hart, TV's original Sabrina, the teenage witch. And the, the granddaughters of Harley Quinn. Yes, they are the granddaughters of Harley Quinn. You're right. Yes, that is shown in the Return of the Joker movie, yes. Uh, Chucko, the chubby and bald clown, is voiced by Don Harvey, best known for Casualties of War, and the series The Deuce. 
Wolf, the Were Hyena, is voiced by D. Bradley Baker, one of the most prolific voiceover actors in the industry. His credits are basically everything. <laughs> He's a younger Frank Welker who, coincidentally, also voiced Wolf in the movie. Now, I don't know why Frank Welker wasn't didn't come back for this. Maybe he was busy being Fred that week. I don't know. But uh, they've all been enhanced by Kronos' future tech. Chucko's legs are replaced with a rotating ball, and he has a he has Darth Maul's lightsaber. Yeah. <laughs> a double-sided lightsaber. Dee Dee has laser whips and multiplies on impact. Wolf has robotic arms and claws. Bonk can replace his hand with a large metal hammer, and Ghoul can do the same, but instead he's got a rotating saw blade. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, for a long time, I struggled with how ineffective both leagues are against these guys, but I now think Kronos specifically enhanced them to take out Batman, Green Lantern, and Wonder Woman. Yeah, I think because so. Because his, like, uh, Chucko's lightsaber, like, Wonder Woman's bracelets aren't quite deflecting it. Uh-uh. And things like that. And and Ghoul's um, jack-o'-lantern has some kind of... Like, it basically has fireworks that can eat through the Green Lantern's energy Shield, bubble. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, the League still seems pretty nerfed compared to these guys, though. I mean, I like these characters, but they are just a little too good here compared to two veteran Justice League teams. I don't know, but, I mean... Obviously, these guys managed to, we learned later, kill the rest of the Justice League. League, So maybe they really are that big of a threat. Yeah. Uh, Just by statics visuals, it would appear this episode takes place several years after we saw Future Static in the Static Shock episode Future Shock, which we covered recently. His hair is now longer and gray. Uh, We never see Terry unmasked, but his build and design are just like the Batman Beyond series. So I guess... Maybe the trauma of losing all of his friends could have aged Static more, the period they're living in. So, Well, or maybe he had some enhancements and stuff like that, because like you said, 65 is the new 30. So. Right, maybe. Uh, they're getting their butts kicked, but Terry calls for retreat. Wonder Woman and Warhawk scoff, and he says, I don't remember putting this up for a vote. Is Terry the leader of the Justice League here? or? I know, and considering, you know, Static's been at it a lot longer... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's interesting, yeah. And Warhawk obviously was, too. So, Terry opens up a boom tube, but Chucko destroys his mother box. And I guess when Barda died, since she's obviously one of the leagues that's not around, I'm guessing that they took her mother box. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Green Lantern asks, Virgil, I need some cover. So, apparently, Green Lantern just can't stop calling younger team members by their real names, can he? Or at least, as he knew them, younger team members. At this point, he's older, you know. Yeah, Static's older than him. Yeah. yeah. But, Green Lantern, not good on the stealth part. Yeah, calling Supergirl Kara in front of people. And I'm like, dude! (laughs) Again, drinking game, take a shot. Yeah. Static lights up the sky, and Green Lantern makes a giant maze with his ring. That's a nice move. It is. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, So, the league is holed up in the former Hamilton Hill High School Named after the mayor of Gotham in Batman the Animated Series. And I think that's where Terry went to school, right? Is that right? I can't remember, honestly. I think that's right. I I should have looked that up, but I think that's right. So where are the normal people? Where are the citizens of Gotham? Did they all leave? I think they're all headed for cover. Because you think about it, all these different historical monuments have just popped up and stuff like that. They would either A, leave the city, or have gone underground. That's true. Uh, Terry tells uh, the heroes that they've traveled 50 years into the future, and Green Lantern tells Static, the last time I saw you, you weren't old enough to drive. 
And that's when he says that about the miracles of modern medicine. Medicine. 65 is the new 30. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So (laughs) I hope so. Uh, I love hearing Phil Lamar have a conversation with himself. His older static sounds like an older static, not just a more high-pitched John Stewart. Yeah, I know. It, it's a credit to his skills. Right, right. Apparently, Kronos took out the Watchtower, killing Superman, Jean, Wonder Woman, and Green Lantern at the very least. Uh, the DD said they killed a different Green Lantern. I'm assuming that's the kid we saw in the, the call. call. Yeah. Yeah. I guess maybe John was Green Lantern out in space and on the Watchtower while the kid was on Earth, maybe? I don't know. That's what I'm assuming. Yeah. It seems this verifies the League had more members than just the ones we saw in the call uh, because, you know, there were the other Leaguers to get wiped out. Right, right. Of course, the timeline is polluted and all jacked up, so some of the inconsistencies could be the entropy creeping in early, too. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we then get the meeting we were waiting for. Batman meets old Bruce Wayne. I love their exchange and how they both scold Terry at the same time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and just for, you know, in case you didn't pick up on that, I mentioned I would do that last time. But when I talk, when I say Batman, I mean young Bruce Wayne. I'm going to call Batman Beyond Terry. Uh-huh. And Bruce is old Bruce. Right. So just to be clear, yeah. But this bugs me now that I have fully noticed it. In Batman the Animated Series, Bruce Wayne had just had little black dots for eyes. That was the style. On the new at Batman, the at the, that was the style at the time. I'm sorry. On the new <laughs> Batman Adventures, they gave him like these ice blue eyes. Yes. When Batman Beyond came out, old Bruce still had the ice blue eyes. When we saw Bruce for the first time in Justice League's Maid of Honor and Starcrossed. He looked like the new Batman Adventures design for the most part, but he had black eyes. Now, in these episodes, young Bruce, in his cowboy outfit, has the ice blue eyes, looking just like the new Batman Adventures, and old Bruce now has black eyes. They're the same guy. Why would they change their eye color? (laughs) The wonders of modern medicine? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe fix some cataracts? Yeah, cat- I he's don't got, know. He's got bataracts. I don't know. It's just, it really, I noticed at this time, that just like, just like, old Bruce looks kind of off. And I'm like, that's what it is. It's his eyes. Uh, then the payoff for last episode's big reveal. Warhawk is Rex Stewart, son of John and Shira. And Static makes a crack about her being a cranky pregnant lady who laid an egg. <laughs> like, and you wonder, hmm, did that, is it really how No, he said he's kidding. He's kidding, Dad. Clearly, when he was created for Batman Beyond's The Call, Bruce Timm and Kurt Crew had no idea they'd be doing a Justice League series with Jon Stewart and Hot Girl, or that they'd make them a couple, because that was totally a thing with this show. Yes. Never before had happened. So it's a total retcon, but by gosh, it works. Oh, yeah. And I like how, you know, when he takes, like, his helmet off from, like, his nose up, he looks like Jon Stewart, basically. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's, that's, that's a nice touch, yeah. And named after John's best friend and metamorpho, Rex Mason, no doubt. Oh, nice catch. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. You're right. Yep, yep. Do you think he's got real wings since he's part Thanagarian? Does he have real wings under those metal ones? Ooh. Because it looks like when Hot Girl's in her space outfit with the metal wings over top. Yeah. She's got metal over, over yeah. top of her real wings. Because on here, the wings are part of the Thanagarians. Uh-huh. They naturally have Wings. wings. 
yeah, it's not they're not a harness with the you know apparatus. It, they're they're part of they're organic. So, yeah, Batman says you don't want to know too much about your future. And Terry adds, you really don't. Probably a nod to Robin's fate in Return of the Joker. Yeah, true. <laughs> now Static believes everything will work out because young Batman is here and old Bruce survive. But Bruce says he has no memory of being here or meeting his future self. Now, going ahead and jumping to the end of this, Bruce and Green Lantern do remember. So in the corrected timeline, old Bruce should remember all this. Right. Right. So did this influence Bruce Wayne to create the updated bat suit based on the design he saw here? Was it a self-fulfilling prophecy? Right. Did he hear Terry's name and know who the new Batman would eventually be when he met him? When Terry showed up at his door and he said his name was Terry McGinnis, he'd go, oh, that's the kid I've been waiting for for the past 50 years. Right. You know, did he, did he tell that name in passing to Amanda Waller, who may be, oh, wait, I'm getting too spoily here. Uh, but I, I don't think he ever caught, we, we never catch old Bruce call him Terry in front of young Batman. Anybody else, yeah. In front of Batman. Yeah. Uh, or John. So I don't think he knew his name was Terry McGinnis. But he did see that costume. Uh-huh. And he did know that, you know, eventually he, at least this new Batman, wears a costume like that. Yeah. So, yeah, because obviously Bruce wore that costume at the very beginning of the Batman Beyond episode. It was in the case, you know, he that, he, that was his suit. Right. He wore it toward the end of his career. So, we switch over to Kronos, and David is now wearing a suit closer to his classic comic book look, but it's slightly less goofy. Okay. But it's still goofy. <laughs> but it's slightly less goofy. And now he demands to be called Lord Kronos. Uh, he says he took over the city. So how's the rest of the world taking this? Just hoping he doesn't, it doesn't spread out and leaving him alone? or I, I, know, I know, or, you know. I mean, does he have some kind of shield over top of the city? I mean, I you know, it's just that this thing moves so quickly. You know, these things don't... It's such a fun story, you don't really worry about it, but if you stop and think about it, you're like, wait a minute, how how big is this? Why isn't somebody else trying to stop this guy, you know? Um, so what did you think about Enid's princess gown? Well, I mean, I think that's probably one of those cases where he's like, she's my queen, and I'll clothe her in these queenly things, and you know. Yeah, yeah, and and I like get the impression, I mean, Enid's actually frightened of him now. Yeah. I mean, she's living in fear of what he'll do next, so... Uh, Chrono shows the Jokers that Chucko made a deal with Terry, and that's how they knew when the time-tossed leaguers would arrive so they could come to help them. Uh, then Chronos opens the portal and tosses Chucko out into prehistoric times full of dinosaurs, and he says he'll be running this dump in no time. Then he looks up, and what does he see? The asteroid. Yeah, yeah, and I love his response, which we've used for years around here. Oh, oh fully. Now, see, they just showed a bunch of dinosaurs dying. Uh-huh. I mean, they showed this big impact, this big volcanic eruption out of the earth. And I love Kronos' line on his return. Do you know what killed the dinosaurs? Well, Chucko does. Yeah. <laughs> so we've killed Chucko now. Man, the DCAU is hard on this band of jokers. Uh-huh. It really is. Uh, we see that David is now completely unhinged. And like we said, Enid is legitimately terrified of him. He's done all this for her approval, 
But now he's gone so mad with power, you know, she she doesn't know what he's going to do. No, what, what'll set him off. Yeah. She even tries to talk to him about breaking his rule of taking important things from the past. Right. Like, hey, now you're doing this, buddy. You know, you said you weren't going to do that. He's like, don't you think I can handle it? <laughs> She's like, oh, yes, dear, of course. So she gives him a back rub. And he's like, hey, do my neck. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. She asked him to let her mother out of the thing he key, he's keeping her in. What do you think that is? I have no idea. Like maybe a volcano getting ready to erupt that he's, you know, I, mean, I don't know. It, it sounds awful. So so he really did just want her to love him. I mean, he's in not constantly berate him. It, it's driven the guy absolutely nuts. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's kind of sad. I mean, it's it, it really, he's still in love with her, you know, trying to please her and, you know, that, and, and she, he doesn't, he can't fathom now that he's gone so far off. He's never going to please her because she's scared to death what he's doing. Yeah. You know. Uh, back at the uh, JLU HQ, Batman says he took a good look at Kronos' belt in the past. He develops a program on a small CD. How quaint. <laughs> <laughs> that might be able to stop him. Then Diana just disappears. And I love how shocked both Bruce's look. Diana. Yeah, yeah. She never left the island or was never born or that mound of clay never got picked up or, you know, yeah. whatever, whatever. So what's your theory on why she disappeared? I mean, I think either one of those, you know. I mean, if you go that Wonder Woman has been a lot, uh, I mean, if you go that she was born or formed from clay and given life like hundreds or thousands of years earlier, if if, if it's coming from the past back, right, then it makes sense that she would go before the rest the of them. The rest of them, yeah. Yeah, that she would disappear first, yeah. Yeah. Uh, then we see that big white wall of entropy coming toward the city. It's like crisis or, or zero hour. You yeah. know, I mean, it's just like DC Comics, like big event, you know. Batman plans on doing things the old way, and Terry warns him things have changed. And I love what he says. Batman, are criminals still superstition cowardly? And old Bruce says, yup. <laughs> Good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great nod to Batman's original origin story. And, of course, Batman Beyond's out of the past musical, you know. Superstitious, cowardly lot. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the next scene is great. Batman baits Ghoul, static zaps him. Then Batman hangs him over a roof for info. And old Bruce steps up. I can't believe I was ever that green. This is how you interrogate someone. And we just see him walk up with his cane. It fades to black, and then Ghoul is spilling his guts. Uh-huh. <laughs> he says they've got 9,453 Jokers in 200 small groups. Dang! I know. <laughs> and he tells them everything, including that he wet his bed until he was 14. <laughs> yep. I wet my bed till I was 14. <laughs> Batman steps in and says he can't control his friend much longer, and Ghoul spills he knows where Enid is. Static's like, wow, Batman playing good cop. Green Lantern. So everything is relative. Yeah. <laughs> and considering the time's all jacked up, that's a nice line, too. We have Kevin Conroy doing double duty here as two versions of the same character, and then Phil Lamar voicing two characters. Right. So that's, that's a great moment. We should add that Conroy slightly modulates his vocal differences between young Batman and old Bruce ever so slightly in this one. I think Batman is just a little less gravelly than normal, and Bruce is more so than on Batman Beyond. If you don't watch a lot of Batman Beyond, you'll never notice, but having done the Conroy tribute recently, I picked up on it. Mm-hmm. And that was a good way to, you know, for him to differentiate. That differentiate, yeah. Yeah. Enid is apparently holed up in one of the Great Pyramids, and her guards are robotic Egyptians 
who look jokerized. I don't understand the why of that. I don't either. They have these huge Joker grins, more like the new Batman Adventures look. I have, I, I just, I don't get it. I, I don't know if it's, if it's to show that the, you know, the Joker's built them or. I, what do, the, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's really weird. And in an episode full of wow moments, the real one hits next. Green Lantern walks in and says, Enid Clinton, we have business with your husband. Halfway through that line, Jon Stewart time blips into Hal Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, I'm all caught up. Carry on. Yeah. What you did know, you, no, you know. What did you think about that? I was just, what? 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 <laughs> I know. The first time we watched that, we were all, what? You know, just. <laughs> and that's a nod, of course. You know, I mean, at the time, let's see. Yeah, Hal hadn't come back in the comics quite yet, had he? I don't, maybe he had by the time this come out. I can't remember. But, you know, I mean, when they first started Justice League, Hal was still like, I think he might be the Spectre at that point, but he wasn't, oh, you know, okay. Green Lantern or whatever. But, so yeah, I mean, you know, every DC fan squeed like a little girl here. Hal's classic design looks great. It follows the template for Green Arrow's design on here. It looks more influenced by Neil Adams with slightly longer hair and sideburns. He looks like more like a 70s Hal Jordan. Um, and Hal here is voiced by Adam Baldwin, who will voice him in many things later. So he was Jonah Hex, Bonk, and Hal Jordan in this. He got a nice check. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and you're right. He says, Hal Jordan, another time shift. I'm up to speed. Carry on. Uh, the implication is this is happening across other timelines as well. Uh-huh. So it makes you wonder who he was working with in his timeline. I bet Barry Allen was one of them. Oh, there <laughs> you know, because he's never on here. Yeah. Uh, well, eh, we'll get to that eventually. But yeah, it, physically, he's never on here that, that we know of. Uh, Batman says any one of us could change or cease to exist. That's really scary. I mean, I know, just, just to, I mean, you know, you don't know. You're walking in a room with somebody, it changes to somebody else, or like Diana, they just disappear altogether uh-huh. and don't come back. I mean, it's amazing that John comes back. So, yeah. Enid tells him that uh, David doesn't move around each night as suspected and rumored. He always sleeps in the same place, which is the jail cell from Elkhorn in 1879 inside the Colosseum of Rome. Yeah. That's that's pretty interesting that he, you know, that that's where he goes back to. I mean, that t- should tell you there ain't something ain't right up there. Something's got disconnected. Yeah, yeah. The League arrives with Hal, who then changes back to John. <laughs> Static says... Make up your mind, would you? <laughs> uh, nice father-son moment with Green Lantern and Warhawk, who is overwhelmed with the stakes they're dealing with. What are you supposed to do when you have the weight of the world on your shoulders? And John puts his hand on his son's shoulder and with a smile says, plant your feet. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, that was... Very, that should be on a t-shirt. Very Paul Kent-like moment. Yeah, you know, it should just, be on a t-shirt or a meme. Yeah, it know. should be, yeah. So why did they bring Enid? Oh, my gosh. I mean, she uncovers him saying, a loser with a kingdom is still just a loser, and he's sucking his thumb. <laughs> it wakes him up. Yeah, you know? yeah, I know. Wakes him up and alerts him. Of course, it is kind of funny that everybody just stands around and waits for him to react. Way to the stealth job lady. Yeah, that's what Terry said. <laughs> he calls in the Jokers to a portal, and then the carnage begins. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, Static is chasing Wolf, and the entropy rises from the ground, sucks him in. 
You know, and he's just gone. I First mean, one down. And yeah. Dwayne McDuffie wrote this, and he co-created Static. Yeah. <laughs> and he didn't make Static be the big hero in this, which I thought, you know, that's some restraint right yes. there. You know, he did include him, of course, but uh, some red coats teleport in from the Revolutionary War and fire at Terry. And what those old musket balls even knock him over in that bat suit? Well, just because of the force of it. I guess. I mean, it doesn't hurt him, but it does knock him over. And probably the most shocking moment here, as far as, like, dark and shocking, the DDs get each of Terry's limbs in their whips, and they start to fry him. He screams in pain, and it cuts away to old Bruce in the high school on the monitor, and he's yelling, Terry! And then quietly, Terry. And I was gobsmacked that they would kill Batman Beyond so ignominiously in this episode. I know. I mean, it's implied that they ripped him apart. I know. I, I mean, know. they drawn and drew and quartered him. Yeah. I mean, God. <sighs> Am I wrong? In th- did you get that impression? That's what they, they did? They either drawn and or just, you know, electrified him. You know. Ah, I don't know. They were pulling. I know. But I'm I just saying. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Kronos reappears to Enid and confronts her for betraying him, saying everything he did, he did for her. You know, like the Brian Adams song, <laughs> which is our song, by the way. Yes. <laughs> I just wanted you to assert yourself, not destroy the universe. <laughs> a woolly mammoth appears, knocks over Warhawk, and Wolf goes in for the kill. But I love Green Lantern when he blasts him. <laughs> Get away from my kid. Yeah. <laughs> Batman points to the sky and confronts Kronos with what he's done. And what's his answer? Ready. <laughs> this guy is... Is out to lunch. Yeah. When GL tells him to focus, he does admit that this is a problem. You know, the sky's like turning white and coming at him. Mm-hmm. He says this requires another approach, and after giving Enid a peck on the cheek, he really does love her. He opens a portal with his belt, in which, you know, of course, Batman and Green Lantern follow. So they realize he's and hit. He's, and he shouts, you'll love me next time. Yes, exactly. Which should give indication of what he's doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oddly enough, how Jordan showed up in this and what was he trying to do in Zero Hour? Exactly what he's getting ready to do. Mm. <laughs> so they realize he's heading for the beginning of time so he can reset everything and make himself into a god. We see the hand with the cosmos inside it, just like the classic Green Lantern story, which introduced Krona, Green Lantern number 40, October 1965, the rogue guardian who dared to see the beginning of the universe. This actually created the DC multiverse, mm. and it eventually came back around in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, I love Green Lantern. The Green Lanterns have a legend. No one can see the beginning of time. It's a universal law. And then Batman says, write him a ticket. <laughs> Green Lantern handcuffs Kronos, puts him in the bubble, and Batman puts his little CD into his belt, <laughs> uploading the program. Now, I love that Green Lantern's having trouble. He's like, I'm having trouble with the brakes. Yeah. Like you know, as they get closer to the hand. And it, I mean, it actually shows the hand, like, start to close. And then suddenly, they're back in the Watchtower Commissary. Yeah. But now, okay, it makes me wonder, and I never thought about this before, did Green Lantern and Batman restart the universe? <laughs> or did it just, like, when they did that, and it just, it stopped, and then it, Right. You know, but did they, like, fix it? Did they, like, okay, we need to, because they were thinking, we need to fix this. Did they, like, big bang the the timeline, the universe? Mm. 
I mean, there's been other versions where they reignited the universe mm -hmm. where the heroes have to, like, we have to think this way so it'll come out right, you know. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, in the commissary, we see Dr. Light, Vibe, and Mr. Terrific, in addition to some of the other characters we already saw. Uh, John has this nasty cut from the fight, so it did happen, although Diana, who walks up, doesn't recall any of it. So, but he does, you know, the, the big cut on his head from their fight kind of tells them that. And you got to think, why wouldn't the people wonder, well, why hasn't that been treated? Why is he here sitting here eating lunch? <laughs> right, right. Batman says they're the only ones who remember what happened. And when Green Lantern sees Shaira, he says, that complicates things. Mm -hmm. uh, it sure does. And we'll see this plot thread revisited later in the series. Yes. So this, 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 these events are not going to be forgotten. Uh, Green Lantern asks about Kronos, and Batman says, I reprogrammed the belt to make sure Kronos would never come to exist. Uh, we then get a replay of episode one scene with Enid yelling at David right as he puts on his hood and escapes into the time stream. And then it repeats and repeats and repeats. And so I get Batman's solution isn't exactly murder. But it may actually be worse. Yeah. In a few episodes in season two, and we brought this up in the Conroy episode because it was a it was a moment Dan Greenfield picked to talk about. We'll see Batman get very huffy and potentially traitorous over his teammates playing judge and jury and sentencing someone to limbo, or in this case, Doomsday in the Phantom Zone. Right. Spoiler warning. How is that different than what Batman just did to Clinton here? Because he's the one who did it. <laughs> That's what the difference is. But I mean. The man is never going to get out of that moment. He's literally going, he's like, you know, uh, just put his hood on and say that line. And then, it, you wait for this. And I know one thing and just flipped it over and over and over and over again. I know. I mean, that's hell. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, but he'll never know it. I mean, no. unless, unless he's got some weird, they, they, he groundhog dated him. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, I guess from Enid's point of view, David disappeared and just never returned. Because I thought about that. I thought at first, I'm like, well, is Enid, you know, she in this loop? But she's probably not. Yeah. Because for Enid, like, time moved forward. Moved forward and her, she's probably like, Mother, David disappeared and he hasn't been back for a week, you know? Yeah. And, and, and she's like, you're better off without him, you know? Or so, you know, I mean, but he's gone and he's just looping, 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 looping. So if he ever breaks that loop, oh boy, is he going to be pissed. pissed. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. So let's get into our superlatives on this part. Power action feature. For power action feature, what what did, what was your power action feature? I don't know. The fact that he sent Chucko to where the dinosaurs were. Yeah. And, and you know. Yeah. And, I mean, yes, I know it's a villain's power moment, but I'm just like, dang. That's pretty cold. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, I, I still love the way he said, Peter McNichol is really great as Kronos. He, he is really great. I mean, he's one of the better villains. I mean, he's, he's such, he, he like. You don't think of him like because he's kind of Weasley and he's he's obviously sucks his thumb. I mean he's he's cockled like I said, but he's devious in that way. Yeah. I mean he literally like I know where I'm gonna drop you. You know it's like and he he knows when everything happens. He even said that he's a master of time and space. Right. That's how he knew when the leaguers were gonna arrive. You know, so I mean he drops him off right at the spot where the meteor is gonna make the most impact. Yeah, so it's like. <laughs> Chucko, 
enjoy your stay. You think I'm scared? I'll be running this stuff in a few years. Oh, fully. Do you know what killed the dinosaurs? Uh, no, sir. Well, Chucko does. It's not really anyone using their powers, but the kapow moment of Hal Jordan show, showing up, that, that's, yeah. that's fanboygasm. Oh, so, yeah. You know, that, that's my power action feature. Rotating chairperson. For rotating chairperson, who'd you have? Honestly, I don't know because, I mean, it just kind of depended. Because, I mean, it could be Batman. It could be Terry Batman. It could, you know, different. Old, old Bruce. Old Bruce. I mean, you know, there's. Yeah. You know, it just depends on who's in play at that point. I, I would say, you know, I would give it to Batman and young Batman and and, and John Green Lantern um, as co-chairs here because they've, you know, <laughs> Booster Gold might have thought he had the greatest story never told. They do. Right. They, they have the greatest story never told with this episode. Um, so I, I think it's them. Uh, but it could be old Bruce because he shows the, the young... The young whippersnappers, including himself, how it's done. So, Justice League communicator. Uh, what about Justice League communicator? There's there's a ton, a ton. Oh, of how this. do you pick? Yeah, I know. I mean, how do you pick? I yeah. still think Chucko does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I would say it's the exchange between the two Bruces, but it, it could be either when they first meet or the the interrogation one. This is all we have left now. Deal with it. Surprised to see me? A little. I'm more surprised that I lived so long. Batman, Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne, Batman. Or have you met? Not now. Great. What did they used to call it? Stereo? Comic Connections. For Comic Connections, uh, they went off on their own more with this one, but of course the connections to Crisis and its roots in that classic Green Lantern story are here. Right. The time anomalies, walls of white energy. I mean, you know, uh, people from the past and creatures from the past appearing in like you know, the modern city, and of course that was even, you know, a huge part of Zero Hour, which was a sequel to Crisis, mm-hmm. so they doubled down on all that, so it's it feels very much like a big DC event because of those things. Electricity is evil. For electricity is evil, well, the DDs kill Terry with their electric whips, uh, so uh, luckily that does not happen. I right. mean, that, 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 this future is negated. Right, so, yeah. Yeah, so we've, and we've not seen the last of Terry McGinnis on Justice League Unlimited. So so like we did last time, this time we're going to do a favorite guest star. Who was your favorite this time out? Warhawk. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I, I like him because he's just like, hey, I'm seeing my dad and, you know, and yeah. can't you guess who I am and, you know. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah. I, I, I think old Bruce stole the show, but, you know, I'm... Of course, You're a sucker. I'm a sucker, and right now I'm still feeling the, you know, I'm still in my, I'm always in that mode, but I'm in my Kevin Conroy, you know, you know, you know, rest in power phase, you know, basically yeah. right now. So um, that that's that's where I'm going to go with that. So what did you think of, of, of both of these episodes? Well, as I said, I still like the first part of it best. Oh, do you really? I, I do. I, I like the Western part of it better. Just because I like older stuff better than, you know, 
future stuff. Mm. I mean, I just always do. So yeah. that's where I like it. Yeah, I I think I think I actually like this one better because mm. I feel like this one had more connections to the DC universe, the DC animated universe. You know, I mean, it made the it it, it cemented the John Shira relationship. Well, and, but to me, this was more like. You know, here are the connections to the past. There's always been heroes. Yeah, so that's, true. that's what I liked about it. Yeah, so. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, they're both great. I think the animation in part two is a little bit better than part one mm. as well. But it might just be because they knew. I mean, they knew how to animate the time of Batman Beyond. You right. Know? And it's probably a different. I think it's a different studio they sent this one off to than the first part. These episodes are just a ton of fun. They're a real standout in the series. The next two seasons have more memorable finales because the stakes are built up over time. You know, it's more of a... The, the finales are, are, are a culmination of a big story arc in each mm-hmm. one. Uh, this one is more of a standalone kind of thing, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great done-in-two story. You yeah. Know? <laughs> so it's, it's the kind of bonkers, balls-to-the-wall story you want with time travel... And just like the Savage Time in Season 1, they peppered in tons of era-appropriate DC stars. There's a few logic holes here and there and some unexplained things we brought up, but you'll never notice it on your first or second watch. Just go along for the bumpy time tunnel ride, and you'll yeah. have, oh, yeah. you'll have a good. great time. It was a great way to wrap up Season 1. And, and I know if you've got the original DVD box set, it counts Season 1 and 2 as Season 1. Warner Brothers that know... They're ass, from, they're oh ass from a hole in the ground. They really don't about that. I mean, look at the chaos that is the Super Friend DVD sets. It, it's, you know, so yeah. This is the end of season one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, special thanks to our Patreon supporters for information on how you can support the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Visit patreon.com slash fwpodcast. Extra special thanks to Jorge Luis Castillo, Matt Ryan, Neil Whitney, Jeff Owens of the Classic Horrors Club Podcast, David Capone, and Rocket Dan Johnson, who specifically support JLUcast. You guys get to monitor things in the cafeteria in case Diana and Shaira get into it. Good luck. Yeah, woof. <laughs> Run. Uh, next episode, it's our Justice League Unlimited Season 1 Rap Party. We'll rank the episodes, tell you our favorite moments, and finally, read a selection of your feedback from the comments at firewaterpodcast.com. So if you haven't left a comment on any episode and want to, Go do it now. We can't read them all, but we promise a nice selection will be read. And I usually answer, respond to everybody anyway. So, you know, but we'll read them on air, some of them. So join us then. And then after that, it's off to season two. See you then. Bye. Bye. JLU Cast is a Franklin and Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises worldwide and is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. The characters and properties mentioned in this show are copyright their respective holders. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their holders, and no infringement is implied. So please don't sue Mommy and Daddy. Emails can be sent to supermatespodcast at gmail.com. Comments can be left at firewaterpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook by searching for JLUcast and FW Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter by using the hashtag FWPodcast. Please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to JLUcast. Ain't it, Clinton? 
We've got business with your husband. What? John? Hal Jordan, another time shift. I'm up to speed, carry on. Okay, I'm starting to get a migraine. 